Hello and welcome to Map Bites, episode 98. I'm Elaine Giles and I'm here with my co-host Mike Thomas. In this episode, catwalks, clones and garish crayons. But first, the iPhone case, or as it's known at Map Bites headquarters, series clothes. I forgot to add the link to the show notes. And oh boy, did you notice in your droves. Mea culpa, totally my fault, even though Mike is in charge of the show notes. That's good of me to admit that, isn't it? It's very good of you to to admit that, yes. Yes, I didn't give you the link. Anyway, it's now rectified. The link is there. First link in the show notes for this show, Series Clothes. And the second link will be, will it be a link? Yes, absolutely. Okay, Minster's Mini MacBytes Marathon. Testing the teeth out early today. Yes, and uh, Minster's piece, what Minster said was, listen to the show three times now. Well, I've been waiting on next week and I'm still laughing. As the saying goes, MacBytes and so does Elaine. You would have thought that Apple would have got that by now. Anyway, another great show and MacBytes is continuing to be one of the UK's best Mac podcasts. Thank you for that. Only disappointing thing in this show was the total failure of the MacBytes teeth making an appearance. Come on, Mike, sort them out. It's just not the same without them. Now, Minster, I absolutely thought if I put in there Minster's Mini MacBytes Marathon, it was a dead cert, and he managed it. I will try harder. Peter Piker picked a peck of... Yes, the MacBytes teeth are here. There we go. (laughs) I had the MacBytes teeth at work today, actually. They escaped, you mean? Yes, I did. I said something and I said, no, I, I'll say that again. I can't get my teeth around it. And I instantly thought of Minster. Good job you didn't say I've got the Mac Bites <laughs> teeth or they'd have carried you off. Yes, although I did at the end of a course the other week say, um, you know, and see you next time. Excellent. Excellent. Anyway, back back to our catch up. And um, I mentioned the in case of emergency thing uh, in relation to the health app. And my horror, abject horror at it sharing all of my details. Anyway, Alistair came back and said, it's not that bad. It's 100% what you add. But my point was, I would really like to add everything for my own use, but control what's available publicly or at least available without unlocking the phone. So I've left it alone. It can't do it, so I've left it alone. And um, I decided to use the in-case-of-emergency wallpaper as an alternative. But then James pointed out, as I discovered after I added one, you notice that after I'd added one, that the details on that wallpaper will be hidden behind the notification centre stuff. Now, you can get past that, but my concern was, would a first responder have the time to fiddle? What do you think? Probably not. They're more interested in, well, more concerned with uh, saving your life, I guess. Mm. I then came up with another plan, engrave it on the back. But then I thought, would anybody find that? I'm sure I've had that idea before. Uh, anyway, I'm going back to Nick's suggestion of just keeping the medical bracelet. Sometimes analogue really is the best plan, isn't it? It certainly is. I just I just wanted everything nicely automated on my iPhone. Anyway, onward with the 2011 MacBook Pro issue. The great saga of the 2011 MacBook Pros continues with a class action issued in um, the States, apparently. So I'll put a link to that. Apparently, the action is claiming hardware faults are behind the problems. And they put out a request, this was online, so that, that people complete a survey if they've got the issue. And they got 3,000 responses in the first week. That's going at some, isn't it? It is, yeah. So we've actually had several emails following Petrolhead's experience that he shared on the blog. 
So I think that's one to keep an eye on. But having said that, do you remember when we discussed the iMac class action? No, but go on. And you know, I love it when you pay attention when I'm talking. <laughs> you nod off, don't you? Uh, yeah, there was an iMac class action and it was all to do with my 2011. 2011 wasn't a good year for Mac, was it? No. My 2011 iMac has got that problem with the left-hand side of the screen and so did Jane's. Well, somebody issued a class action for that as well and I've heard nothing about it since. Seems to have died a death, sadly. I, sh I shall re research that more and see if it has. But the thing is, I don't think a class action is necessarily the way to go. If you want a few pence in compensation, fine, but I reckon most people want a working machine. I certainly would want a working machine for my dead one that's down here. I would, and I'd like it without all of the associated grief with it. But then that's a whole different story, isn't it? But I just think it's sad. I, th I'd, I'd, I'd have more respect for Apple if they just acknowledged the issue and dealt with it. But obviously not, so there's one to keep our eye on. Also, Graham's Bot Bot song was a complete triumph and we are indeed predicting a Christmas number one. We are. Do you think he's had the call yet from Sir Bob? <laughs> I'm thinking maybe Simon Cowell. <laughs> yeah, more like it. Uh, yes, he... he could be picked for the X Factor winner. Mm. That'd, that'd give him something to worry about, singing that one. It would. Anyway, Evie tweeted that she laughed until she cried when she heard it. There was a lot of crying when it was out, but I think most mostly that was Graham. <laughs> I thought it was great. We should play it again. We should. Absolutely, we will. Now, the last show was released on the day of the Apple event. Craig Node. Ooh. Get over yourself. But uh, getting back to the event. New toys. Buying again? Uh, investing in some new tech, yes. I felt it was time. Uh, I was in need of an upgrade to the venerable iPad Cyril. And anyway, I wouldn't have wanted to miss out on the fun of an OS update, would I? So Yosemite it was. Whole event not without issue, though. Not in terms of quite the issues of the last one, but not the best night, I didn't feel. No. Apple picked a night we had already scheduled a live session for. So I was faced with the challenge of being in two places at once. Yeah, but that's easy for a person of your talents, though, isn't it? Actually, I did have it covered. Um, I decided that the session that I was, I was doing at uh, eight o'clock, I would record it in the afternoon and then I would have a copy of it just in case we overran. Well, not us, Apple overran. So I started the recording and you know what happened next, don't you? I do. But go on, tell the listeners. Phone ringing, ambulance passing. The, then the door went. But apart from that, it was a complete doddle. Don't ever let anyone tell you that virtual training is easy. Ah, the trick is making it look easy. Anyway, eventually, with a slightly edited recording, it was ready to go, with me on hand to take over live when Tim... Craig. ...had finished. OK, Craig had finished. Um, luckily, it was all wrapped up much faster than the previous event and without the foreign translation and the test card. So I was actually in place live at eight o'clock and ready to go live. It was a long night, but many MacBiters stayed with us for the whole four plus hours. So thank you very much for that. And it was a complete triumph, wasn't it? It was. And thank you guys for sticking with us. But then there was the simple matter of ordering your new toy. All together now iPad, 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 iPad. We really need to get more in sync. It'll be fine in the edit. Uh, yes, after the iPhone debacle, I was ready. Credit card on file the night before, up at stupid o'clock and poised for purchase. 
Sadly, that was the one day when you decided to take your car in for its MOT and needed a lift back from the garage. You know this isn't going to end well, don't you? But I held my nerve. I only stopped about every 10 yards to check the pre-order status and I was back at my desk by 9.15. Even more sadly, I was still there at 4pm nursing severe repetitive strain injury to my refresh fingers. You were, and I was making plans to walk to the garage to uh, collect the car rather than tear you away. Just as the page sprang to life. And before I could even blink, your order was in. Yes, for delivery. On release day. Yeah, right. You fall for that one every time. Surely without incident this time? Not exactly. It shipped early. I knew I'd peaked too soon at that point, you know. Um, I got some odd status updates saying where it was when it clearly wasn't, or maybe not. It was weird. But by Tuesday, this was um, after the event on Thursday, booking on uh, Friday. On Tuesday, it was at Tamworth. You know what that meant. What did that mean? It meant it would be in my hands on Wednesday. So, Wednesday morning. Quick check. You know, dive out of bed. Phone. Where's my iPad? Out for delivery. What could possibly go wrong now? Yes. Two hours later, different message. A message saying they'd forgotten to put it on the van. What? Forgotten to put it on the van. Talk about you had one job. I don't think what was what you actually said in your email to me. It did begin with W. No, there was a few more words <laughs> after that, but I thought we'd skip those. It did begin with W and end in T, and there was a certain letter in between. There was, yes. Anyway, uh, yes, I sense an attitude realignment was coming on for somebody at UPS. Do you know, I was so calm. <laughs> it's frightening, isn't it? I spoke with a very nice man who apologised and assured me I shouldn't worry it would arrive the next day. How very foolish of him. Yeah, bet that went down well. Let's just say after a little discussion, within 90 minutes my new toy was in my hands. Now, I didn't have the Air 1, so it actually was a huge difference from my iPad 3. Also, my first white iPad too. So a near disaster avoided, but only just. So, apart from it being a white one, what do you like about it? I got so used to the Touch ID on the new phone, I was trying to use it on the old iPad. So, with the new pad <laughs> having Touch ID, it is actually more useful than you would think it is. Touch, trust me. Trust me on that. Yeah, can't you use it with um, Final Cut? Not Final <laughs> Cut. Um. Do you know something we don't know? <laughs> Have you got the inside <laughs> scoop? I don't even know I said Final Cut. One password. I'm seeing no correlation between the two of those. But anyway, uh, yes, <laughs> no, you can. No, do I. You can. You can also use it on other stuff. Um, I think Dropbox has now got it. Uh, OneDrive implemented it. So quite a few. Oh, and Goodreader, your favourite Goodreader. So yes, you can use your Touch ID on all of those as well. Excellent. Um, were you tempted by the smart cover? I thought about it. But luckily, I came to my senses. I don't actually really need a case. I decided this. I don't really need a case, except when I'm going out. And I've fallen in love with the iPhone case so much that I would actually have preferred something transparent. But then I decided, actually, I was quite open minded about it. So I checked out Amazon and I saw something that looked similar to an Apple cover, but with a back. And despite convincing myself I wanted a white one, they didn't have one. So I went for a black one. This is what I was saying about being open minded. And um, I thought, well, I'll only use it when I'm going out. 
So it doesn't really matter. And given that the alternative colours were um, pink, a rather dubious red and an incandescent blue, I decided that the black was the safest. And when it arrived, it's actually perfect. Obviously, I tried it, made sure it you know it fitted well, and it did. It was perfect. And the fact it's black actually does suit the white iPad. Um, nice to look at, definitely on a par with the Apple one, if not actually nicer, because, you know, when you're out, it's all right having a cover, but it's actually putting the iPad down and this one had a back on it. So I really, really like the look of it. And I thought, oh, there's going to be something wrong with it. You know, it doesn't fit properly or the, the um, magnetic cover doesn't work, but it did. Absolutely perfect fit. Cover works brilliantly, just as well as the Apple one. And guess what? What? It was £6.50. Bargain. Total bargain. Bargain. Now, this time, I really will put a link in the show notes. In fact, if it's not there, it's Mike's fault because I've already given it to him. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) See how you got dragged into that, then? Yeah. Ah, So, iPad successfully acquired. Then, it was on to Yosemite. Completely painless, I thought. Suspiciously painless. In fact, only one casualty for me, which was Wirecast. And there's an update for that now. Now, when I say update, it's one of those paid ones. So I'll be waiting for Black Friday before I'm taking the plunge. But apart from that, suspiciously painless. And I've even upgraded because I uh, didn't bother. Well, I did bother, but I waited for, I don't know why I waited, but I waited for an age last time to update to Mavericks. I don't think there was any particular reason that I waited. I just did. But I installed Yosemite pretty much straight away. I dutifully backed up my existing Mavericks installation. And the installation, just like you say, for me, it was painless. I double clicked on the installation file that you put on my desktop. Wasn't that good? It's virtually done for you, really, with me, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. I ensured that I didn't activate iCloud Drive because you told me not to. That wouldn't be wise with your phone. No, because it's only iOS. And you haven't updated your iPad yet, have you? No, I haven't. Still on iOS 7 on that. A couple of apps were moved to the incompatible software folder. Um, One was Instant On, uh, which is a component of um, Audio Hijack. And the other was Printopia. But it actually turned out that this was because I didn't have the latest versions installed. But it's not my fault. I know you'll blame me. Never said a word. No, but it wasn't my fault. You know, if Mac Update Desktop doesn't tell me they're out of date, how am I supposed to know? It didn't happen to me. No, it never does, does it? No, but plenty of other things do. (laughs) iPhone, iPad orders, anyone? You say nothing, are you? Not a thing. No. Anyway, 30 minutes later, it was all done and dusted. Now, my first impressions, I'm not too keen on the new interface. I found that the trash is too clear. It's difficult to tell if it needs emptying. And for me, the finder, the folder icons are too blue. Do you know those are the two things that annoy me as well? Yeah. Because some apps have, you know, like Dropbox has its own folder icon. Yeah. And now they don't match. And that blue is really garish. And I'm never quite sure about the trash. I'm looking at the trash now on here and maybe it's my eyes, but it does look like it's got something in it. And when I right click it, empty trash is empty. So it's it's greyed out. So, you know, it's no, I don't think that's an improvement, but that's this um, transparent type look, isn't it? Most of the new features like handoff and continuity, you need iOS 8 for, so I don't think I'll be trying those out anytime soon. I did try one of those. Um, Which one was I trying? I I had no idea. But I tried something and it didn't work very well. 
that was when I decided I would have to update. I know what happened. I tried the old document shuffle thing and thought, no, I, I'm not. It didn't seem 100% there. Then I realised it could be because of, I hadn't updated the drive thing, you know, to the iCloud drive. So I updated all of that and I still had problems. Um, I did end up with my iPad ringing every time the phone rang. So I had to deal with that. <laughs> but I did have a few issues with it. So I think maybe wait for another point update and then try again. But at the moment, no, I left those alone, luckily. iTunes 12, lack of sidebar. Although you sorted me out with that one. Mm, give or take. iTunes 12. The jumping of the shark complete. I want my sidebar back. Now, not properly back, not that half-baked workaround that's just good enough to remind me that the proper sidebar's gone. And the podcast management is just farcical. Maybe it's the way I consume podcasts, but I would be looking for a specific podcast. And when I went into it, it seemed to want to say, this one's new and this one's new. And I don't really care what's new. I'll be looking for a specific podcast. So maybe it's just the way I consume podcasts. But um, Downcast is where I am with that at the moment. And I actually have a whole drive with my iTunes data on it. And I just don't have it plugged in. It's that bad. That way I don't have to run iTunes. The only time I willingly run iTunes now, because I've got Spotify for music, is when I'm doing um, a desk-bound backup of one of my iOS devices. I wish they'd just rewrite the whole thing. It certainly needs a, some kind of rewrite, doesn't it? I was going to say update, but they've only just updated it. <laughs> no, no, please don't update it again. Don't do anything else with it. In fact, I'm reminded here of something that you said, and now it's stuck with me and I can't get it out of my mind, so I'm blaming you. And once I tell all the MacBiters, they'll think the same and you'll get blamed for it. Do you remember what you described the icon as being? <laughs> Go on, remind me. It looked like a club foot. That's right, yes. It doesn't really look like a proper beat anymore, does it? It's a very strange shape for um, a semi-quaver or whatever it is. And it does, it annoys me. I'm not overly keen on the fact it's red either. No, it's... I don't know why. Why am I prejudiced against that? You're just used to blue, I think. I am, and every time I see a red icon, but then it does stand out because I looked at my um, taskbar the other day. I don't actually, it's not a taskbar, is it? It's the dark. <laughs> this is how often I look at it. <laughs> there was a blast from the past. No, I never look at it. So when it, it appeared, because I have it hidden and it kind of slid out and, and looked at me, slid out like a snake looking at me. And I looked at all the icons and I thought, how on earth are you supposed to know what's what? They were all blue. Every single <laughs> one was blue. So when you run iTunes, at least you know it's iTunes now. And once you realise it's running, you can instantly close it. So very handy, really, I suppose. It is. I guess it just depends on how you look at it. Another issue I had with iTunes was I had about 20 apps to update. So I went into the I went into the update and I started looking at all the apps that needed updating. There was no release notes. That got me because I always read the release notes. I mean, some of them actually say don't update. I know that sounds ridiculous, but they do. You know, when you've put out an update and then, well, the company has, and they realise there's a problem with it, they instantly change the notes to say, don't update to this. We've um, sent in another one to Apple and it's now waiting expedited review. Those are really critical. And you're right. They just weren't there, were they? It actually took, what, a week or two before they came back? Certainly, uh, as I went into iTunes, it must have been two or three uh, weeks 
where there were no release notes. But as I think you've just said it, they are now back, which is, is good news. Well, they were always there on the device. So I just decided I would update on the device because I do read them first. And as I say, that saved me a couple of times. Um, we talked about Omni and the disasters that they'd had with their updates. And one of theirs said, do not update this if you're on iOS 7. So if you're on your desktop and you just update the lot and then synchronize, it's too late. Mm. So I don't know. That was a gross oversight, really. No excuse for that one. They're important. Plus the fact some of the, de the devs write the most amazing amazing release notes so literally some some apps I'd, I'd just update the thing new download the updates just to read them they're that funny so i wouldn't want to be without those so i'm glad they're back most of them just say bug fix but well most do but the, you know some do make more of an effort and I, i've tweeted them before and how they've been so funny so so yeah i did miss those that was a definite mistake i had fun with uh, the fusion upgrade uh, the annual tax. The annual tax, yes. One of the annual taxes, but we'll come back to that. Yeah, only one. I upgraded the iMac to Yosemite, obviously, as I've just said, and I then upgraded Fusion uh, to version 7 as 6 wasn't compatible. So I ran Fusion. Well, now, how did you know that? You told me. <laughs> ah, yes, but it wasn't that simple, was it? How did I know that? How did you know that? You think I, I did the clever thing, don't you, and researched it carefully. Or read the release notes. No, neither. No, it was far more entertaining than that. I had a live session on talking about Office 365. And um, it was a session I'd done before and everything went swimmingly. So what could possibly go wrong? Well, I'd updated to Yosemite in the meanwhile. And I had Fusion 6 on there. And I thought, did I demonstrate the Windows version? Because this live session was talking about the Mac version. And then I realised I had, and what I'd done was say that, you know, you can run this, the Windows version on a Mac in your virtual software. So I thought, ah, better run Fusion then. So I did. And it was literally as it was loading up, I thought, oh dear, is this compatible or not? And I thought it usually isn't because they want their annual tax. And it took quite a while to run, but it did. It ran and there was Windows. And then, of course, Windows takes, you know, three quarters of an hour to think about running. And there it was. And I thought, oh, it's OK. I thought I really don't want to be updating Fusion right now because that would mean updating the VM and updating the tools. And stupidly, I hadn't checked. It was now 40 minutes to showtime and I was there with Fusion 6. And just as I clicked on the Windows thing, I thought, well, it's a bit slow, but it'll do. All right. All the screen appeared with yellow lines on like a bar of rock. At which point I thought, this isn't compatible, is it? <laughs> so I had to dash off and buy it, install it, update that, update the VM, and then put the tools on and look all calm and collected by eight o'clock. <laughs> so that was how come you had Fusion 7 to update to, really? Yes. Well, I ran Fusion and it took about 10 minutes to boot up one of my virtual machines. It was a Windows virtual machine, but it, that, that virtual machine normally takes about two minutes to boot up. And I was finding that it would it would kind of freeze unless I constantly wiggle the mouse. So I literally had to sit there wiggling my mouse with the mouse pointer in the windows, in the Fusion window, and that would just keep uh, windows ticking over. But nothing was actually happening apart from it saying starting windows uh, on the... And that was aggravating your sensitive wrist action. Yes, definitely. Now, Word and Excel took about two or three minutes to start. And again, they normally fire up within 30 seconds. So I shut down... Um, the virtual machine 
And as I shut down the virtual machine, it came up and it said Windows is updating, um, update one of 192 or something like that. <laughs> and for the next eight hours, it actually continued to do these updates. In fact, I left it running whilst I was at work. And I think you were giving me constant updates whilst I was at work, weren't you? Tell you what, I was updating you faster than the machine was updating. <laughs> yes. Anyway, I actually found a solution on the VMware forum. Somebody said, you've bumped into an Apple bug affecting all hypervisor programs. Now, I didn't know what hypervisor was, but apparently it's a program that runs a virtual machine. So um, VMware Fusion and Parallels. So you've bumped into an Apple bug that affects all hypervisor programs that are running on Yosemite on mid-2011 iMacs. We're back to 2011. It really wasn't a good year to buy a Mac, was it? No. And sadly, I bought one and you bought one. And Petrolhead bought one. (laughs) Apple is aware of the issue. Famous last words. Yeah. Doing anything about it anytime soon, do you think? Exactly. Anyway, the fix requires opening the terminal, typing a command and rebooting the Mac. You don't have to do this every time you want to run Fusion just once. And all the details... Uh, I'll stick in the show notes. That was a bit of a naughty one, actually, wasn't it? Because when you copied it, from when you copied this command that you were supposed to paste into the terminal, it took an extra character with it and it didn't work. It did. I think it was a space after the dash or something like that. So It was within the middle of it, so you have to be very careful when you're typing this thing in. If you copy and paste it and it doesn't work, actually put the website next to the terminal window and type it in just so it looks the same because when you copy and paste it's adding extra characters that the terminal doesn't like and it wasn't my mac either was it it was just yours it was so it's not happening on every mac but if you're finding that either fusion or parallels is running alarmingly slow then you've probably got one of these mid 2011 iMacs they're cursed these these machines <laughs> they and are. it's only iMacs that one that's not the machine mind you it doesn't really match on the macbook pro does it because that's probably dead by now but it's just the <laughs> iMacs that aren't working Nice one, Apple. Not. Do you know, some people just think this machine's really old. I think I should buy a new one. Who they would think be that? aware that there's actually, you know, a technical fault with them. Mm. Anyway, we found um, um, a map by Siri Imposter, haven't we? I didn't. I didn't touch it. No, it was me for a change. Mm. Whilst playing... Whilst playing in the system preferences, I found a feature which I actually thought was new, but it turns out it's not. I just never used it before. Oh, there's a surprise. I don't know. I don't know what I was looking for, but it announces the time on the hour and there's two voices available. There's Daniel for the UK and there's Kathy for the US. And as I played it, I said, that's my bite Siri, that Daniel. One day you will appreciate just how hard I work. He's quite right, you know. Yes. Anyway, one app that nearly caused me a panic was um, Colour Schema Studio. I'd completely somehow missed that in my don't update if this isn't working list. But then Grant reminded me and he wrote and he said, Dear Elaine and Mike, I'm a big fan of MacBytes and I'm always pleased to see a podcast in my download queue. I've recently completed the Photoshop Touch series, which was jolly useful. And personally, I found Photoshop Touch less finickety than Lightroom Mobile. A long time ago, you did a screencast on colour management where you introduced me to Colour Schema Studio. Find the app indispensable. On one of my Macs, I'm testing Yosemite Beta and I notice that the app crashes almost as soon as it launches. Version history is not displayed in the Mac App Store, making it difficult to tell when the last update was. But it may be the app was abandoned by the developer because the last time anyone left a review was 2012. 
What is your suggestion for colour management at a time when all the furniture is moving around in the content creation space? Regards, Grant. Good question. Well, I didn't have um, Colour Schema Studio on my Yosemite test machine. So I contacted the developer because once you'd mentioned it, I started panicking. Anyway, the developer got back to me and said there's no current plans to update it, but at least he replied. So it doesn't look as though it's been completely abandoned. And the good news was that I'd found no issues with it on the final version of Yosemite. Hopefully Grant's found the same, but if not, it might be worth an app zap or an app delete and then reinstalling it. So let us know how you go on with that, Grant. Now, I took the opportunity for a swift look round because I thought, he's right, it's not been updated in a long time, good couple of years. And I wondered if anyone else had released an app that was similar that might have more regular updates for doing the same job. And I couldn't find anything. There's lots of colour pickers out there, but not um, a kind of a, more of an app rather than a utility. This this is an app and it allows you to pick colours from images and a whole lot more besides, including creating style guides and all sorts of things. So it would be really good if somebody did bring out a more up-to-date one, but I can't find anything. So I'm open to suggestion if any MacBiter has found anything out there. But you had your own problems with the colours, didn't you? I did, and I can't remember which app it was. I think it might have been Keynote, but it will apply to all apps. The first time I opened, as I say, I think it was Keynote, after I'd upgraded to Yosemite, and I went to the colour picker. I just thought, what are these? And it looked to me like the the, the colours, the the uh, the crayons, they were just like uh, Fisher Price crayons to me. And you turned around and you said, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, can I just say though, when I did say that, and I did, uh, I was sat across the room and I was looking over your shoulder. I was a good eight foot away and they did look all right from eight foot so when you get on top of them you're right they look hideous they used to look like proper crayons didn't they like a 3d effect yeah but real crayons actually they're a rip-off of crayola aren't they they are but they looked nice and now they're flat they're just but horrible. horrible horrible yeah i'm sure i'm sure Even everyone's the colors aren't that distinct anymore no when you hover over like three colors and you're looking between them it, they're just not that distinct it, it is it's hideous that's not an improvement to the interface and it will not grow on me no i'm sure everyone's seen them a lot of people have seen them so yeah let us know what you think of them can you imagine if a lot of people write in and say we're wrong and they love them <laughs> i have to have a i'd have to have another look but i'm not liking them i'm not uh what else did we do Oh, yes, I changed over to a 3G tariff, didn't I, on a, my phone? A 4G tariff? Oh, yes, even a 4G tariff. <laughs> Where am I? <laughs> 2008. <laughs> yeah, 4G tariff. It's the money I'm thinking of. That's that's what did it. Um, I'm with O2. I've been with O2 for ages and ages, and um, I didn't really need to upgrade before now. And I was surprised. It was an incredibly efficient switchover. That's twice they've impressed me in two weeks, you know. Because when I went in for the new SIM, for the new phone, they were very efficient. And when I went back to sort the tariff out, they were equally efficient. Um, it took about five to ten minutes. So we left the store and it was we sorted by tomorrow at the latest. And within ten minutes, it was there. So instant 4G. I was amazed at the speed of it. I thought it might be a little bit faster, but I wasn't actually expecting much. It went better than that story on the BBC then. That was terrible. And, you know, that was O2 as well. It was. It was, a, it was about two or three weeks ago, this, but I'm guessing quite a lot of our um, listeners won't have heard of this. 
It was on the BBC, but there again, who takes much notice of the BBC news? Uh, and maybe if you're abroad, you won't have heard of it. But um, yeah, I read this and I was, I was horrified. It was a woman from South Shields, which is in the northeast of England. And the headline was, South Shields woman text from the grave shock. And I thought, is this the Daily Mail? But no, it was the BBC. And this is what it said. A woman was horrified to receive a text message from her grandmother's phone number three years after her death. And I'm thinking at that stage, well, it's probably a mistake. But when I read on, I thought, I can see why the girl freaked out. When Leslie Emerson died in 2011, we're back to 2011 again, wasn't a good year. Some of her favourite things were buried with her, including her mobile phone. Sherry Emerson of South Shields said she found comfort in texting her, but was stunned when to get a reply saying, I'm watching over you. It's reading like a horror story. It is. It emerged that her grandmother's number had been given to another user who replied, thinking that friends were playing pranks. The network in question, O2, said it had spoken to the family and apologised for any distress caused. Miss Emerson said that following her grandmother's death, rather than visit her grave at Harton Cemetery in South Shields, she would send small text personal messages as a way of being close to her. I know she's not alive, but it's still going to her, she said. However, she was upset and distressed to receive a reply saying, I'm watching over you and it's all going to get better, just push through. Ms Emerson said loads of horrible things were running through my head. How did someone get her phone? Had they been getting all the texts? When a family member rang the number, the man who answered explained he'd recently acquired the number and thought the text messages from Ms Emerson were from prankster friends. Ms Emerson said, I took it out on him and it wasn't his fault at all. It makes me feel sick. There's not a word to describe it. O2 said numbers disconnected and not reconnected within a short period of time were placed in a general pool for reassignment. A spokesman said O2 had been in touch with the family and apologised for any distress this is causing. You couldn't make it up, could you? No, but you know, I mean, you might read it and think, oh, you'd know, you know. But similar happened to me. The day that Dad was taken into hospital for the last time, you know, we have the story of he'd never let his iPhone go and he didn't. He had it in his hand and I gave it to mum and this phone had um, a lock on it, obviously, one of these passcode things. And mum knew the passcode, but not having an iPhone of her own, she was never quite sure with it, not confidently unlocking it, put it like that. So she went off with it locked in her bag and, you know, he really didn't look well at this stage, trust me. And about four or five hours later, my phone rang. And I picked it up and it said, Dad calling. And I thought, oh, good grief. Instantly, I thought it was him. You do, don't you? If it comes up and says, Dad calling, you do. You do you don't logically think, oh, good grief, Mum's managed to unlock Dad's phone and she's calling me. And I just instantly thought, good grief. You know, they've done something and they've worked a miracle. And then I answered it and it was Mum. And she said, I said, you know, I was actually expecting my dad on the other end to say, here's your mum. And it was it wasn't. It was just my mom. And she said, you know, it's me. And I thought, oh, it's not dad. And then there was that that fraction of a second. And she said, your dad's just died. And I, I was shocked, even though I knew he was really seriously ill when they took him into the hospital, just seeing dad calling on the phone. So I can understand the girl must have freaked out. Yeah. Crazy, crazy, crazy stories. So be aware of that. I can see why you'd, you'd bury somebody's phone with them. I can. It's like a, you know, things that people do, isn't yeah. it? And then I can imagine that that would freak you out. It did me. 
Um, no, the reason I updated wasn't for the faster data. The reason I updated was for unlimited minutes, which is unusual for me because I think on an average month, I probably use maybe 10, 10, 15 minutes maximum. So I've never worried about how many minutes they want to give me or how many minutes they don't want to give me. But I decided I needed unlimited voice minutes after one disaster too many with Skype while we were trying to record the show. Yeah, Skype's been very flaky lately, hasn't it? It's been terrible. After years of... We started off, when we started the show, we used... Um, was it iChat? Yeah. Or was it called something else? At the iChat, time? I think, wasn't it? Yeah, we moved to Skype and Skype was, was better. And it's been fine ever since. But now there's a lag on it. And that lag is really, really noticeable, especially when you're in close proximity to each other, which we are. Although we're in separate rooms, you can just about hear, I can just about hear you talking. And the lag was a good three seconds, yeah. something like that. The other problem was that it kept breaking up. So it was actually difficult to understand who was saying what. Do you think the MacBiters would notice that? Uh, I'd like to think they would. Um, the other thing was the recording tools weren't playing nicely when Skype's running. Not even if we're... Re because we don't actually use Skype to, to record anything. But if Skype was actually running on the machine, then the recording tools were upset. So not the best experience with Skype lately. No, we actually nearly had only half a show last time it was that bad. Yeah, we switched to using our mobile phones halfway through. And people are probably wondering how on earth that works, you know. Um, but how it works, we both record locally on our own machines. And we also record to a device as a backup. You wouldn't want to lose half a show. Could you imagine trying to redo a show? You've heard the punchlines. <laughs> It's not that organised we could redo a show, trust me. So um, what happens is these two recordings get joined together. They, they get married in post, in audition. So actually, as long as we can hear each other, it doesn't matter how we hear each other. Yeah, up, upgrade to uh, two tin cans and a ball of string. Well, it would have been better than Skype's been lately. Anyway, if you're hearing this, it worked. And if you're not, it didn't. But then if you're not, you're probably not going to be worried about it. Uh, yeah, so more fun was had by all. But now time for some shiny new software. I paid what I thought was the annual tax for ScreenFlow. Yes, but it's so worth it. Well, I do buy it twice, so I guess so. But actually, it turned out I was being very unkind, as it's two years since the last paid update. I was surprised. I think I associate it with the OS getting updated, which has been every year for a few years, because every time the OS is, up is updated, ScreenFlow breaks. Usually, spectacularly. But no, it is two years since the last paid update. And I do buy it twice. I buy it directly from them, so I get the new updates as soon as they're out. That's because it keeps breaking. And I also get it from the Mac App Store, so I can install it on more than two Macs because it's activated. Do you know, it's still activated. What decade are they in? Um, so, yes, I not only paid for it, I paid twice as well. Was it worth it? Well... The export is way faster. So for anybody who doesn't know, ScreenFlow is um, an app that lets you record screencasts. Actually, it can probably do a lot more than that. It can record anything that you can see on your screen. So if you wanted to record video from within a browser window, it could do that as well. But obviously, given what Mike and I do, it's, I would say, the most important app we have for work. I would say so, yeah. Yeah, so would I. Hence buying it twice. Got to, got to make sure we actually have a working one. So um, I did buy it within three minutes of it coming out. 
And there is some good stuff in there, but I must admit I had high hopes and some of them didn't come to fruition. They never do, do they? No. Don't think I'm being unreasonable, though, with, with what I think it, I, it would be good to add. But one of the huge improvements in ScreenFlow is the export time. When you've done all your editing, and it does edit quite nicely in there, the export used to take about three to four hours, depending on the length that you were trying to export. And I'm not doing sort of two, three minute tutorials here. I'm probably doing 90 minute spectaculars. So I want to export to full quality because I need to take it elsewhere to do more work with it. And that did take a long time. Sometimes it was less than that. But, you know, if you were sitting there thinking, how long before this is ready? I'd give myself a good three to four hours. That is now down to 15 minutes, which is a huge improvement. They've also added something that everybody else is getting giddy about, and I'm not. Are you giddy about this one? I'm not giddy about this one. No, me neither. They've added batch export, which sounds great. So if you have 10 ScreenFlow files and you need to export them all, you can use this batch component that's now within ScreenFlow and it will iterate through them and then you will come back to 10 exports. But they've missed a trick with that. That's great if all of the recordings that you have are in separate files. But it's much less use if you're exporting I.O. sections of a recording. So what I mean by that is when I've got a recording, I might decide to split up an hour into six 10 minute sections. So I put markers on the timeline and I then put an in marker and an out marker, so an I and O marker, around the section and then export just that section. And you can't do that with the batch export. So if you're going to build in a batch export, at least finish it off. Because the alternative would be making separate files for each of those exportable clips, which sounds like a grand idea, but it's not. Because if I, instead of using an I and an O marker, if I cut the timeline and I copied that little chunk and I pasted it into a new ScreenFlow file, it would work. I would end up with 10 ScreenFlow files, which I could then batch export. But those 10 ScreenFlow files would be like having nine copies of the original file. Now, let's think that through. If each one only had the chunk in it, the 10 minute chunk that I wanted, then the files wouldn't be silly in terms of file size. But each one would have a full copy of the original recording. So if the original recording was 10 gig, and that's not unusual, then you're going to need lots of space. So the batch export, very, very nice, but no use at all if you're using IO export. And then there was the bit that instantly tripped you up, which is when you start ScreenFlow, there is, it, it's a dialogue box, isn't it? But it doesn't look like a dialogue box, or it didn't until now. It used to look like a heads up display. And that was where you configured your recording. One of the problems with it was as soon as I put Yosemite on, you couldn't read that heads up display, could you? No. You know, with the transparency thing that was on it and the black text, and you literally couldn't read it. So they fixed that by changing this little dialogue box that has your recording settings in it. But that had a knock-on effect for you, didn't it? It did. I couldn't find the option to set up a new blank document. It's normally on the recording, on the, the file menu, and now it's disappeared. It's on the, on this dialogue box, and it just totally threw me. 
I think that's a ridiculous place to put it. I can see why they've changed this, what was just a recording HUD, to be a whole management, um, an interface for managing stuff within ScreenFlow. I get that. So it shows you your previous files you've worked on and you can create new blank documents. You can create new recordings. You can set the timer on it. I understand all that. But if I'm working in ScreenFlow in a file that I've recorded and I'm now at the editing stage, you'd have to bring back the HUD to get to the new blank dialogue, wouldn't you? Yeah. The, the new blank document option. That seems odd. And I'm never a fan of anything that they take off the menu, because if you take it off the menu, I can't use something like Alfred or Keyboard Maestro to hook into that menu command. Then it would need to point to a, a set of pixels in a dialog box rather than something that you can say, just map that keyboard, you know, a keyboard shortcut to file new. You know, command and then I want you to, to remap it. And you can't do that if it's not on the menu. So I do wish when they make changes, they'd at least make them optional. But they're not really into making things optional, are they? No. But one of the trumpeted new features is you can now capture your iOS device, which is a lot more cost effective than the old way of doing it. No, not with a reflector. But way back in the day when you needed a hardware capture device, but with a hardware capture device, you did get great quality. Now, what, you, what you've got to do if you want to capture uh, your output from your phone or your iPad, it must be a fairly modern one because it needs um, a lightning connector. Your Mac must be running Yosemite and your iOS device must be running iOS 8. So that's you out on virtually all fronts, isn't it? Yes. Hmm, never mind. You've got all of my stuff to play with. So that's what you need to capture it. And then when it captures, and this bit I do think is good, it captures it alongside everything else. So if you're demoing an iPad or you want a recording of, um, no, no, I won't say if you're demoing an iPad, because if you're recording the demo and somebody's looking over your shoulder, that's fine. It records the screen of your iOS device at the same time as it records the screen of your Mac and also your webcam. So you end up in ScreenFlow with multiple tracks with elements on it. So one's your iOS device, one is your iMac, one is the audio. So you've got all these tracks with everything stacked up on them, which means that if you were demonstrating something on the Mac at the same time, you've got both and you've also got your webcam. That bit's great. The only problem is there's no preview. So if I was in a live situation where I'm demonstrating in um, a webinar or a live se online session, there's no option whatsoever for, for anybody watching remotely to see my iPad. So for that reason, I'll be sticking with Reflector. But apart from that, it's quite nice. There's one quirk with it that I think will cause problems. I've already seen people complaining about it. But when you flip the device, you and your sensitive wrist again, when you flip the device, the recording just stops. The thing is, it doesn't actually tell you it stopped. So just flicking the device round cuts you off dead. The other recording carries on, but your iOS recording doesn't carry on, which is odd. I guess that's a limitation of, of the system they're using because they're hooking into what Apple are providing for that. Because if you want to do that and you don't have screen flow, you can do it from QuickTime. Although we found a few issues with that when we tried it straight away, didn't we? We did. Now, what were they? I can't Let's remember. look efficient and try and remember what they were. One was the flicking round. 
and the other was when I disconnected the device. So I'd gone into QuickTime, I'd connected my iPad, I'd done a recording and then di I disconnected the device. When I went back into QuickTime to record something else, it had my iPad listed and it was dimmed out and I couldn't select anything else. So lesson learned from that, if you're doing it with QuickTime, make sure when you finish recording your iPad that you just go back in, say new recording and just choose your desktop. Otherwise it gets very upset about it. So um, that's very, very nice. I'd just like to be able to demonstrate it as well. So it'd be nice if there was some kind of preview window for that. But one of the other additions is because they have added the ability to capture your iOS device, they've also added gestures that you can add retrospectively. So if you're saying pinch to zoom and all of that, they have got gestures within the elements that you can add to your recording, which is very, very nice. Now Camtasia from TechSmith, they also added iOS recording. And did you notice they did that free of charge? I didn't notice, but you did tell me. Yes, it's a good job I do, isn't it? It is. You've missed such a lot. Yes. They updated to 2.9 and said, right, it now does iOS recording. So it didn't need a major update. They've added quite a lot to version 2 of Camtasia and not um, had any price on it at all which I think is very nice. That's been out for a while. I'm frantically waiting for version three, obviously. And I'm thinking for, of all they've added for free to version two, version three should be amazing. So I, I still hold, I hold out high hopes for that. If you're thinking, should you get ScreenFlow or should you get Camtasia? It's worth knowing that Camtasia only lets you record the iOS screen. Did you know that? No. Probably not. No. No, thought not. Um, I just assumed it would let you, it would do both. It would do your screen and it would let you record the iOS device. But when you go into Camtasia, there's a drop down and you can choose what you record, but you can't say record the screen and the iOS device. I think they're assuming that you would be creating one of these preview videos for iTunes. And that's why it's only capturing the iOS device. So great if you're doing a demo of an iOS device and you're not interested in anything else, but not so hot if you're trying to do two things at once. What I'd like to see with that is something like a preview, which ScreenFlow have added. They've added a webcam preview, which you had a play with, didn't you? A quick one, I'm yes. glad we haven't got the capture from that, though. Do you want to share? No. No, I thought not. Shall I share for you? Go on. He was topless. Yes, oh, people might be eating again. I've forgotten that. Yes, so there is this webcam preview. When the idea of that is just to let you see that you are lined up properly. But do you know what? As soon as you look at it, your eyes will look shifty because you'll have that preview off to the side somewhere <laughs> and you will, you'll look shifty. I'd love that preview for the desktop too. I know it seems superfluous because you've got your desktop, you're looking at your desktop, but I'd like that. Uh, an overall preview would be nice. I could get used to that. Now, one of the new features is clip markers. I, I'm sure I mentioned that because that's something that Camtasia has. The difference is you can put markers on the timeline and you always could in ScreenFlow. So if I'm marking my in and out points for my 10 minute section of my hour recording, I put these markers on the timeline. The problem with them is if I were to then say, oh, I think I'll put some music at the beginning. So I move my recording further along the timeline. My markers don't go with it. So all of my markers are now out of sync with where things actually are. 
Camtasia had clip markers. And the difference was you put the markers onto the clip. So when you move the clip, the markers stay relatively in the same position. And they've added that to ScreenFlow. I think that's a really biggie. I've actually used that a couple of times already. Um, one of the th things that I use that for actually is, um, you know, when, you, when you're doing a demo and you know that you're switching from demo number one to demo number two, you can actually put the clip marker in or at least a marker. I need to check if it's clip marker. I think it is. You can put that marker in live by mapping a shortcut key to it. They've also added action templates, which are saved settings for actions, which is incredibly useful because there was no way previously of storing anything for reuse later. So if you've got something like you have a three second fade, you can save that as a template. So nice time saver to give you continuity across your um, recordings. So you don't think when you play them back, ah, that one had a much longer fading and that one doesn't match with that one. It's much easier to get everything to match. One of the things I was quite looking forward to was the promise of colours on the timeline. But the trouble was, when I found them, there was only four of them. And they were very intense, bordering on garish, there was green, orange, purple. What's the last one? Is it blue? Pink, probably, knowing you. No, no, it wasn't pink, thankfully. No, they really are garish. They really, really are. I would love it if they let you just choose the colours because then you, you could be, you could actually tone them down to sort of less garish. I was going to say pastel, but that would remind me of pink, so I won't. But certainly less garish than these are. These are really, really intense. There's no need for them to be quite that intense, but no option for that, just the four of them. Then they added iPhoto and iTunes library integration. Yeah, have a think about that. Just in time for the sun setting, I thought. Yes. I guess you'd use iPhoto integration if you wanted to make a video of your photos, you know, a bit of Ken Burns going on. But I'm not thinking that ScreenFlow is actually the best app for that. Photo Magico is way better. Yeah, I was going to say that. We had that years ago, didn't we? And it was a really good app. Wasn't there another one? Is it Picture Presenter? I think something presenter? like that, yeah. And again, they've got, they're built for that and they work brilliantly for that. I'm not sure that ScreenFlow would be your friend in that regard. And when it comes to the iTunes integration, I certainly rely less on iTunes for music with Spotify and streaming services. So, And also these libraries seem to take so long to load. I think that's a bit superfluous. It's nice if you use it. And if they change iPhoto to photos, I can see sort of sort of a use for it. But the way I use iPhoto, and I always have done, is I put the podcast artwork in it, and that's all that's in it. So the library loads virtually instantly, but that's because there is nothing else in it. As soon as you start putting photos in it, it starts getting much, much slower. So I actually think that's a bit superfluous at the moment. But one that you liked, the snapback action. That looks a useful one, yeah. Um, but I, I know that you do it in a different way, so it's irrelevant to you. Well, what happens is when you add an action to the timeline in ScreenFlow, what you're doing is saying, you're like putting a marker on the timeline. It's not a marker, it's a little block. And what you're saying is everything to the left of this marker looks this way and everything to the right of it looks a different way. So it's the way that you would add a zoom to your timeline. Now, of course, if you do want to zoom in on your timeline, at some point further on, you're going to want to zoom back out again. So I 
I learnt early, whereas you didn't. I learnt early that if you put this action on the timeline and then you move along and you want to go back to where you were before, you've got to put in another action and then you've got to think, well, what did it look like before? What percentage was it before I changed it? So I quickly learned there were two better ways to do that. One way is to actually put cuts on the timeline. So if there's a five second clip that I want to be zoomed to 200%, one way to do it is to cut the timeline on the in and the out and then click on the actual bit in the middle, so the five second clip, and then change its zoom percentage to 200. And then you don't have to worry about putting actions on the timeline at all. If you'd rather not cut it, and there are reasons that you wouldn't want to, because you might want to change, for example, the volume level of the whole clip. And once you've sliced and diced it, you'd have to select each little piece. So if you want to use actions for it, by far the best way to do it was to go in and put the first action in almost where you want it, and then just randomly put another action in further down the timeline, and then work on the middle bit. And then when you think, right, five seconds in, that's where I want it to go back, you just drag this action, the second action that you added, and drag it into position. So it was simple. And that was how I always did it. So I didn't think there was a need for this. But then I showed it to you, and you really liked it. I did. Because what it does is, instead of putting any action on the timeline, you go to the menu and you put in a snapback action. And instead of you having to remember how it was before you changed it, it remembers for you and it snaps it back instantly to how it was before your previous action. So I think that would get a lot of use, actually. But maybe I'll start to rely on it because I haven't been relying on anything like that. I do it manually and I guess I'm used to doing it that way. Benefit for me of doing it that way is if, if I'm using another app and that doesn't have it, then I use the same principle. So I'll probably stick to what I've got. They've also added in 20 wipe transitions. Not sure I could get overly giddy about that either. No, me neither. Probably because I don't really use transitions and animations in that way. And they remind me of Keynote and PowerPoint and I avoid them at all costs in there as well. But previously you had to pay for those. So that is actually a nice addition if you do want to use it. There's also something that this one's funny. They said that they'd added a one-click cleanup of unused source materials. Now, did you ever tidy up your source materials? No. I did. If I did, I did it manually. Yeah, I did, and I did, I did tend to do it manually, maybe as I went along. But there was a way to work out if it was in use or not, which was to click it and then in, in the bin at the side and then try and delete it. And if it was on the timeline, it would tell you it was. And if it wasn't, it would say, are you sure you want to delete it? And you could then just delete it. But this thing specifically is sold with version 5 of ScreenFlow as being a one-click cleanup of unused source material. So I thought today, I've got a need for that today, so I'll try it. And it actually took me three clicks. One to do it, so you go to this option and it says clean up unused source material and I clicked it and I thought that'll be it. And then two to confirm that that was actually what I wanted to do. That's not a one-click cleanup, is it? No. I thought, okay, what's what's happening here is, you know, sometimes you get a dialog box and then there's a little tiny tick in the bottom and it says show show next time or, or don't show this dialog again. Yeah. Yeah, there wasn't one of those either. So this one click cleanup is actually three clicks, but it's still there if you'd like to use it. Um, it does tell you that these things aren't in use and you want to delete it. And when you say yes, it says you're actually sure you want to delete it. So it's pretty safe. Don't think you'll go wrong with that if you're trying it. 
Uh, there's also an app preview expo- export, which uh, is there because it, it marries perfectly to the Apple specs for the App Store previews. So these little video previews that are in the store now, it's got a dedicated export setting for those, which is quite nice. And I think you liked the save local copy as well. When you export it to YouTube, it saves a local copy. That sounded useful, but I never export directly to YouTube. I used to. And again, that used to take like 40 to 45 minutes. And you used to sit there thinking, please don't die. Please don't die. Because then you'd have to start again. Um, All it's really doing is sending one copy up to wherever, YouTube, Vimeo, wherever you want to send it. And then saving a copy locally as well. You could download it from where you've uploaded it to. I think it's a nice addition, but I don't actually ever send it up from there because of the problem that you don't then have a local copy. Would I use it now I have? I don't think I would because when you're sending it up to YouTube, you you don't have all the publish options that you have within YouTube. So I probably wouldn't use that one. They've added publish to Wistia. I've got a Wistia account, but don't use that too much. So bending in a nice option, I suppose. But I, I do like to do things manually. One of the good things is for accessibility. They beefed up the subtitle options, but I found those very fiddly to start with. And I bet you didn't even use them. No. It's because they are too fiddly, isn't it? You don't really want to be putting in an hour long where you've actually subtitled it by hand. May I've done it for maybe five, ten minute demos because the, the subtitles on YouTube are so poor. But it does take a long time. Maybe if you could import, I'll, I'll have a play with it. See if you can import them better. But what's missing? There's always something missing, isn't there? I don't mind paying for updates, but please add some really, really substantial stuff. Don't just play around adding odd pieces to it. I have been waiting for five versions so far for templates. Templates would save such a ton of time because they don't even have the concept of going into the editor and choosing whether I want thumbnails or a list and remembering it. No, I have to set that every single time. I also have to set all the view options every single time. It just doesn't remember anything. So a template would be fantastic. Obviously, I've done the old manual workaround where I have sort of 10 files that are my starting points and I duplicate them and then I go in. But it's still not without issue. It isn't. So still no templates, no full templates. And the other thing that I would really love is a library. You know, you've got your watermarks and you've got titles and credits and overlays and all sorts of stuff. Just have a library. Obviously, I've created a folder structure. But that's not the point. They're not in a library where I don't have to keep disappearing out to the finder and then looking down a list of names, you know, or or changing the view. A library would just be fantastic. And they stubbornly refuse to have a library as well. I would like the ability to view the iOS device when I'm recording. That that would make that complete. But I, I don't think they could actually do that at the minute unless they leverage that preview window, which is why I thought the preview window was a good idea and then found out it didn't preview anything that I wanted to see. So that's what I think's missing. Don't know if you had anything that you thought was missing beyond that. No. But then there was the complete disaster, wasn't there? There was. I used to export to lossless. The reason I would export to lossless is it's an intermediate job I'm trying to do. It's an intermediate codec to take it somewhere else to edit it. It's not the final compressed codec. I I don't want to send it out to YouTube. I want to send it somewhere for further processing. 
So the first thing I got warned about was that the lossless export's missing. And they suggested that I use ProAlpha something, 422 was it? 422, yeah. with Alpha, something like that. So I thought, okay, I'll do that. And it exported fine and the quality's fine. I've got no problems with that. But I thought, well, what I'll do is I'll check my old settings and I'll build them up again manually. You can't do that. It's something to do with what Apple are doing with QuickTime and removing the reliance on QuickTime. So they're changing how they work with Codex and therefore that option has just completely gone. So I thought, well, I can still do something to get a smaller file size. But no. Now, I'm sure you remember the settings when you went in to create an uh, an export setting. They were quite extensive, weren't they? They were. There was a lot of them. Oh, there was pages and pages of them, maybe 12 pages of export options. And we're talking down to the level of B-frames and interlace rates, all sorts of stuff. Things you had no idea what they did, but you'd got written down what they should be set to and you just did it. And all of that has gone, completely gone. In fact, some of the options that they've created for you, you can't even duplicate. It's gone to that degree. So... I've said the export's faster, and it is. It's amazingly fast. But into every life, a little rain must fall, and there's no options. So I've been exporting to this. uh, In fact, I didn't go with Pro Alpha export in the end. I went for a HD422 and found that it was around 30% smaller. But my problem is that the files that I'm exporting are now, whereas previously they were about 5 gig, from maybe 60 to 90 minutes of video. Now they're 60 to 80 gig for the same video at the same quality. So I think I might need more hard drive space. It's the only answer. But unfortunately for me, I have two copies of the export. So I would be looking instead of 10 gig, I'd be needing 120 to 140 gig of space just to manipulate those two files. I would say I'm hopeful that in a point update, they'll add them back. But with bitter experience, I know they probably won't. So I'll just have to get used to it. So I will have to find a way to keep the quality and reduce the size somewhat. So I'm predicting Handbrake will be taking a battering while I work out what to do with it. Hopefully it will take less than the three hours. And if it only doubles the 15 minute export, I'll still be two and a half hours ahead. So uh, more on that in the future. But uh, that is ScreenFlow. The price is £69, I believe, in the App Store. Is it still £69? I don't know. Shall I have a look? It used to be 99 but I think it's $99. So uh, in the App Store, it'd be £69. Or you can buy it direct. And there's a whole thing going on there with which one you buy. In the App Store, it's not activated, so you can put it on multiple Macs. In their store, it is activated. You can only have it on two Macs, but you can choose which two and you can deactivate. Um, But you get the faster updates. Sometimes, though, the faster updates aren't a good thing because they'll break something. So if you've got it from the App Store, by the time it gets in the App Store, they'll probably have fixed it. um, And the update was $34, which I didn't think was bad. Not for me anyway, because I use that all the time. $99. Hmm? $99. $99. But that's about £69, I think, isn't it? It is. £76. Oh, I thought it it was less. Well, that's from Telestream. No, it's probably less in the App Store. Probably. But getting back to our focus 
on WordPress and our WordPress deep dive. We're on to part three. We took a hiatus last time. It was all the excitement of the Apple event. So we've covered the desktop apps. We've covered mobile apps. And today we're taking it a step further and looking at plugins. And my first one, it's just got to be the essential, is a kismet. It is the Uber spam blocker. And the spam that I'm talking about is comment spam. If you've got a blog, you'll know exactly what I mean. And the beauty of a kismet is it's very accurate. It catches literally thousands and thousands of spam comments on my sites. Um, it does have options for allowing comments. So you could allow unmoderated uh, comments. This is WordPress. You could have moderated comments or you could have it where if you've approved a post from somebody before, and they post with the same email address, then there's only the first post needs to be moderated. And after that, they can post, which I think is the one I've gone for. Now, Akismet's free, but it's also donationware. It was completely free when I first got it. Um, but they do encourage donations now. And to use it, you will need an API key. And that is what you would apply for at the point that they would request a donation. I think the donation that they suggest is around the $36 mark, which to be honest, for what it does and how well it does it, isn't actually that expensive at all. But what you can do, this donation is a slider and you can slide the donation right down to zero and then they will still give you this API key. You then go into WordPress and having installed a Kismet, you will go in to configure it and all you need to do is put in your API key in the back end and that's it. You're done. I'm assuming you've got that on all of your sites too. I certainly have. It is absolutely necessary, isn't it? It is. How many times do you check how much it's caught? Because I'm always surprised when I do. Not often, to be honest, but I do notice it when I go in and look at the stats. I trust it so I don't I don't often actually look at what it's caught. I've never known it catch a positive comment. No, I haven't. Not a real I comment. Haven't. So I do trust it. But when I go in, you're talking thousands. So um, that that is an essential, an absolute essential. And that is a kismet. And talking about essential plugins, one that you need, and you know there are several out there that will, that will do the job, but one something that you do need is something that can back up WordPress. Now, the one we use is Backup Buddy. It is probably the most comprehensive one. It's probably the, the one that does everything. There are some others, and mention those towards the end, but um, not only does it back up a WordPress installation, it also makes moving an installation really easy as well. So if you were moving hosts, or if you were doing what we did recently, which was to uh, redevelop a site, where we had the MacBytes site and we had that on a development server and then we wanted to move it lock, stock and barrel to the real site. It makes that really easy as well. You can schedule backups so they happen automatically. So we have it setting all our sites are set to automatically backup overnight. And you can backup just the WordPress installation, so the core WordPress files, any other plugins you've got, uh, some WordPress configuration settings, any photos that you've got, and any videos that you've got installed. So there is in, in WordPress, when you uh, upload photos and videos, they're stored in what's called the media library. So those will all get backed up as well. What it doesn't back up is anything outside the WordPress folder. So if you'd uploaded 
some zip files, for example, or even some videos and photos, but you'd stored those outside your WordPress folder, they don't get backed up. Another option you've got is to do a full backup, and that backs up the WordPress installation, but it also backs up the database as well. So where all your posts and all your page content is stored, they get backed up. And in fact, an option also lets you specify to back up non-WordPress tables as well uh, that are stored in the same database. So if you've got a plugin, and we've got a few plugins that uh, have their own database, then the contents of that database will be backed up as well. You have got an option to just back up the database, so just back up the posts, the pages, and the settings. And for most people, that would probably do on a daily basis because that really is probably the only thing that changes regularly. Were you going to say something then? No, I was moving the chair. Carry on. Oh. <laughs> now, once a backup is done, it can automatically be posted to one of a number of remote locations, including Amazon and Dropbox. So we have ours um, automatically going up to S3 as a, I guess you call it a, an off-site backup. Now, it does cost for two sites, it's $80 a year. For 10 sites, it's $100 a year. For an unlimited number of sites, it's $150 a year. And there is a gold service as well, a gold gold um, package for $297 a year, which is unlimited number of sites plus 12 month support and lifetime updates. But although that sounds expensive, you know, consider how much it would cost if you lost everything and you had to get it all back. So I think it's well worth it. Yep, absolutely love Backup Buddy. One of the best features seems innocuous, but it's the one I love. When you go into your WordPress backend, which gives you like a dashboard, um, there is a dashboard widget that shows the current status. So it will show you when it was last backed up and how many changes there have been since that last backup. And you can actually choose to run it from there manually if you want. So it's really user friendly. And as you say, it does sound expensive. And But if you don't, it's, it's like the price of a hard drive, isn't it, to back up your main hard drive. That sounds expensive until the main hard drive's gone. Um, and it does happen, as we've discovered, just installing something innocuous. Yes, updates. Updates go awry and you, you've got a quick way to roll back to a previous setup. Exactly. I mean, we've got a range of other tools that can get you into a problematic WordPress install. But without those, there is no way to get back in to do that. So uh, Backup Body will cover you for that. There are free alternatives, but they're not as extensive, nor are they as simple as Backup Body. But two of the ones that we looked at were Backup WordPress and um, back WP up free. So I'll put links to those in the show notes. But I think for your backup, you need something that you can absolutely rely on. I know there are a lot of free plugins out there and by all means make use of all the free plugins in the world. But when it comes to the backup ones, you really need to be absolutely certain that they're working because there's nothing worse than relying on something. And then at the minute you need it, you realise it's not either com comprehensive or it's just not going to restore in a way that is going to be cost effective, you are still going to have to get somebody in to help you with it. Another plugin that I like and I use is called Loop Buddy. Now, in WordPress, each post in your blog, because WordPress was originally a plugging, a, a plugging. Oh, the teeth! <laughs> Fabulous! It's made Minster's Day. A plugin. WordPress. 
I'll say that's a gadget. Like WordPress was originally a blogging platform. So in WordPress, each post from your blog is a record in the posts table of the WordPress database. And um, the home page, if you think think about a typical blog, the home page of a WordPress-based site displays all your blog posts in a chronological list. So the newest one will be first. And what you tend to, to find is that it displays the post title, uh, which is then a clickable link to go on and, and see the uh, rest of the post. Think about the, the show notes on the MapBytes website. And then you either have the first few lines of text from the post or uh, the excerpt, which we've talked about in previous shows. It's just the excerpt's just a summary. And what it shows is dependent on the theme that you're using. Now, rather than um, a long continuous list of all the posts, what you tend to see is the latest X number of posts, say the last, the, the, the 10 most recent posts, and then you see links to the previous 10, etc. And this list of posts is what is called the loop. So when if you ever hear them talk about the loop in WordPress, it's just a list of posts. Now, what LoopBuddy does is it allows you to customize the loop, and that gives you much more control of what appears and where. So as an example, you might want to have multiple loops per site. You can have uh, the loops based on criteria. You can customize the layout and you can choose what fields are displayed. And I'll give you a couple of examples. If you go to the MapBytes site or the MapBytes learning site, in the footer, we've got a section called what they're saying. And that is a custom loop that's been created with LoopBuddy. It's three random posts So if you just keep doing a refresh, you'll get different posts coming up. But it's three random posts from the testimonials category and it displays the title as the link and then it displays the excerpt. So we've achieved that using uh, LoopBuddy. Another example is, is on my site, the Excel Trainer. And I've got a page there, which is a list of all my tutorials. And for each tutorial, I've got the title, I've got the date in a certain format, and I've got the excerpt. So again, I've you know I've been able to customize the loop. I've been able to display it how I want it to be displayed. The cost is between $75 and $150, depending on the number of sites. But if that is something you need to do, then I think it's it's worth doing. I think it's worth having. We should also say both those plugins come from iThemes.com, don't they? And they, they do. They do have um, a license, like a bundle license, where you can get Backup Buddy and Loop Buddy and a whole lot more, including oh hundreds of themes. Um, and that, if you wanted just the two of those, the bundle would probably work out cheaper. So check out iThemes.com for the, for those. And now another one of my favourites is something that gives you. What to me is a seemingly obvious feature, but it's not available within the core of WordPress. And that is the ability to duplicate a post. Now, it's less the content of the post I want duplicated and more the tags, the categories, the custom fields and all of the other elements that make up a WordPress post. Now, for me, probably I'd use that most when I've got a new video to post or a new live session because all of the metadata is the same. Only the content's different. So it's a fast way to create a framework for a new post. And it is really simple to use. You install the plugin, 
and it's free of charge. And it adds a clone option to all existing posts and pages. And all you have to do is hover over the actions menu and just click clone. And that's it. Simple as that. It gives you a new post or page with the same name with the word copy tagged on. And all you've got to do is change the title and then change any elements within that post or page that you want to change. I can't live without that. As soon as I've installed WordPress, that one goes on there, probably before Backup Buddy, because at that stage, you've got nothing to back up. But I think that's an obvious feature that just isn't there with WordPress. And I'm rather glad that somebody has written a plugin for it. And as I say, that one is free of charge. Another one of my favourites is Editorial Calendar. This one's much more extensive, so it shows you just the differences with these plugins too. How some are incredibly simple, they just do one thing and they do it really well, and others are quite extensive. This one adds a calendar layout view to your WordPress control panel. So it allows you to schedule posts. But more than that, it can actually give you, it's just a calendar view of your entire WordPress site, really. So you can see when you posted something. You can see when you have something scheduled to be posted. You can use the drag and drop to reschedule those posts. You can also edit the posts from within the calendar view, this new calendar view that it's given you. And it's just great to have that overall view of a certain number of weeks of your WordPress blog. Yeah, if I used it, I might actually blog more. <laughs> ah, well, there is a way that I know that some people use this, and I think it's a bit dangerous, but I can see the benefit. What these people do is they decide that they're going to blog, you know, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and they actually schedule blank posts and they, they make them scheduled ready to go. So the motivation is if they don't write something in it, then a blank post will be posted. No. I don't <laughs> try that. <laughs> There's too much going on in my life, but I like the idea of it. I like the idea of it. Unbelievably, that one's free too. And I just think that one's stunning in terms of what it can actually do. It's an amazing plugin. Um, another one that we use that's very useful is, um, how would, how are we pronouncing this? I'm going to say it's a countdown timer. Uji, Uji. But how do we pronounce it? Uji. 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 Not Uji. Could be. It's U-J-I. Oh, it's a tongue twister for the teeth. Well, what this one does is we just find it brilliant for events. You give it a date and time of an event and it does the rest. It displays the days to go, the hours to go, the minutes to go, the seconds to go. You can format it with standard HTML. And a lot of these previously needed Flash, but this one doesn't need Flash. So it works great on mobile. And it is so simple to use because you only need to give it a date and time. And that's it. There is a free version and we're using the free version, aren't we? We are. We really need it basic. Yep. Nothing, nothing extravagant there. But there are also two paid for versions. And in the in the paid for ones, you get extra features. Yeah. One of one of these features, which I can't think of a use of. Um, it gives you multiple countdowns on the same page. Why would you use that? I don't know. <laughs> if anyone's got a use case for that, please let me know because I can't think of one. I think for events it makes sense, but I'm not sure about multiple events. I suppose if you unless you were showing unless you were showing multiple events on the same page and and they were on different days. I was just going to say that. Yes, that would make sense, wouldn't it? But then the thing is, the countdown timer to me is something that should be like there should just be one of them. Yeah. Like pulsing away on a page rather than if you had 10 events and you had 10 of these things, you just get dizzy looking at them. Mm. But anyway, if you do need multiple countdowns, then you can um, pay for a version that has that. But other than that, that is free as well. 
but I've saved the best for last. My absolute favourite plugin is called Short Coder. It's more advanced and you might not think that you need it, but it's useful wherever you put the same information in multiple places in your blog. So for me, I've got my next live session. I have a list of upcoming dates. Uh, another thing we use it for is the MacBytes calendar URL. Uh, at the presenter details and any links that we use to sessions. And the idea is, if you think about what all of those things have in common, they could change. So Apple might decide to do something stupid like put a, a keynote on a night I've got a live session and I might need to change the date. I think they should change theirs, but that's a whole different story. So if I need to change that date, I would think, where did I put it? Obviously, it's on one page. Is it on the home page? Where else did I put it? If I use short coder to do it, I only have to change it in one place. Same with the calendar URL. It's all over the MacBytes site. You'd have to do a search to find it. So what short coder lets you do is update that information without revisiting the posts, the pages or searching, because the danger of that is that you'll potentially miss some instances. Now, that's a really simple use for it, and it's not difficult to use, but there are more advanced use cases, too. So on my blog, I have a lot of videos. and I, I need a video embed code to make them work. And to make a video embed code work, I'm always going to need at least two things. I'm going to need the URL of the video and probably a link to a poster frame for it. Now, pretty much everything else could change. And what I mean by that is the player that I'm using might change. The size that I want that video displayed on the page may change. The format of the link underneath the player that actually links to the video, I might want to change the look of it or I might not want it there at all. So what I've done is I've created a block of code that uses a placeholder for the elements that change, which is the poster URL and the video URL. Everything else is within the code block. So when I go to a post or a page, you use a short code to refer to a code block and then you just give it the URL of the poster and the URL of the video. And then if anything else changes, and that would be anything else apart from the URL of the poster or the video, then you change it once in the master code block within short coder the short coder plugin. And then all of the posts and pages update automatically. It's one of those plugins that I, I actually said to you, didn't I? I tried to describe what I wanted before we found it. And I said, I'm thinking of writing this. I want it that badly. And then I found short coder and I said, this is it. This is it. This, this is the, what I want. And then I took you through what we needed it for. And now it's, in, it's indispensable, isn't it? It is. And again, that one is free, uh, although you can donate. So that is just an awesome, awesome plugin. I think we probably need to say at this point that these only work if you've got your own WordPress install. So we are talking uh, your own web space with WordPress installed. I don't think you can install any of them on uh, WordPress.com. I don't think you I'm can. Wrong. 
No, I, I don't, don't think, think so. I was. No, I don't think you can use them on WordPress.com. But plugins are one of the reasons why it's worth getting your own domain and putting your own install of WordPress on. It's not necessarily difficult to install WordPress. You can get a one-click install for it. And um, the plugins just make the experience of using it so much better. So there are a few to have a look at first. There are thousands of others and uh, your needs may vary, but they're the ones that we put all of those on every site, don't we? We do. Yes. Yeah, I can't think of one of those that doesn't get put on every site. We have a range of others that are optional on certain sites, but certainly those go on every single site we've got. So we will move on to Bite Back. And we heard from Dan, who has done an SSD update. And uh, that was to a 2008 MacBook Pro, I believe. And now it's running very, very sweet. So um, I've put a link in the show notes to Dan's blog post telling you how he did it all and um, explaining how well it's working. I did similar with Dad's old 13-inch MacBook Pro. It had a 160 gig spinning disk and I changed it to a one terabyte SSD. And now it's much more useful, apart from the fact that my screen flow files are multiplying overnight and 160 gig wouldn't go far. It's the speed of it. So that's why Dan's done it. And he said he's going to get another 18 months to two years out of that. A very cost effective investment in an SSD. So do take a look at that. I'm using uh, Dad's old 13 inch laptop for streaming, really, and video recording. But I'm not editing on it, not doing much editing on it. I did need the screen to be 1280 by 720. But I found that very simple to change in the display settings. And yet I have so many people asking me about that. They want to make their own screencasts and they're complaining that their laptop isn't a 16.9 display. So they've got black stripes on, on when they do a recording. If they set it correctly, they've got these black stripes. And if they don't set it correctly, they've got to cut the bottom off. And I just find it's easier to just change the display settings to 1280 by 720. I do get a black strip top and bottom, but it doesn't get recorded. The black strip is kind of outside of the Mac screen. So I find that's just much easier than editing the ratio of the video in post. So that's, that's just another one because you're thinking of something, aren't you? Yeah, I'm contemplating doing what you've done with that might, might, where? Matt Bites teeth are out again. <laughs> oh, Minster's in heaven. Yes. You were contemplating something back then. Go on. I'm contemplating doing what you've done with that white MacBook, but I haven't actually turned it on for that long. I'm wondering if it'll actually boot. That's right. Keep the battery in good condition. Not. It's probably worth it because that, that machine, I didn't like that from the day it arrived, you know. I thought it was a bit lacking in power. So it certainly couldn't hurt, could it? Because you've maxed everything else out. Yeah. You can also, with that one, do the trick with the 1280 by 720 display if you want to record tutorials on it. Don't know why more people don't do that. I've left it like that. I didn't even bother changing it back when I'd finished with it because I, I don't actually sit in front of it and do it. That was one of the reasons I went for an 11-inch MacBook Air rather than the 13 because the ratio's right. It's a little bit bigger than 1280, but the ratio's right. Anyway... Have a look at that. Have a look at Dan's post. Also an excellent blog, Dan. Enjoyed that. Don't have an ankle biter personally, but uh, some, some good tales on there. I'm wait. I'm still waiting. Never mind I'm waiting. I'm still waiting for something, aren't I? And I'm, I'm so patient when I'm waiting. Yes, not. Yes. 
How much did I pay you to say that? <laughs> I'm still waiting for busy contacts. They promised this in September and then they said October and now it's November and somebody's in need of a new software fix. So please, soon, soon, hopefully before Christmas. What do you think? Little Christmas gift? Yes. I certainly hope so. Well, that's it for this episode of MacBytes. As always, we would love to hear from you. So send us your questions, comments and queries by email to macbytesuk at gmail.com. And we've also got the contact form on the website. You could send us an audio file. We love audio files. Don't forget the newsletter at macbytes.co.uk and you can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash macbytes. And you can follow me personally on Twitter at twitter.com slash Elaine Giles. You know, we need another Twitter account, don't we? Do we? Twitter.com slash teeth. Oh, we do. Oh, that could yes. prove fun. <laughs> anyway, seriously, you can follow me at twitter.com slash Thomas Mike. And you can follow me at twitter.com slash series. Oh, can I also say I'm now on Ello. As usual with new social media, I have no clue what I'm doing. So I think I'm following two people. I didn't follow either of them. It was an accident. Anyway, if you're there, let me know, because at the moment it's... um. Mm. It's a bit lonely in there, isn't it? I'm afraid so. Yeah, it's a bit weird, actually. Understatement. Understatement. <laughs> but until next time, this has been Elena Mike bringing you Mac Bites. Goodbye. Goodbye and see you next time. I know I'll get into trouble for saying it, but it's not long now. What isn't? I can't mention it. You mean? Yes, the 100th show. On their current rate, I've scheduled it for Christmas 2015.